Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Welcome to another episode of this Caregiver Life podcast, and we have a special guest with us today. We have Jennifer often about doing something different today, but but I'm here um, and happy to be here with Emily Amons. Emmons. Yeah, I just said it wrong. Emmons. That's okay. right. Emmons. That's right. good. Such a teacher in me to never get names right, truly. <laughs> I went for years never remembering students' names, like for three weeks into the semester. So there you go. But I know you as Emily. That's all you need to know. Emily and I know each other as Elizabeth Dole Foundation Fellows. I think we overlapped a year, right? We were active together for one year. We met in Washington, D.C. That was our first time that we met. And my favorite memory of you, Emily, is I think we must have sat together at the convening or very close. Yeah. We really loved the speaker, the keynote speaker. He spoke about gratitude. Yeah. Do you remember him? I do. And I bought all his books and I share his, he does like little snippets of three, four minute snippets. Dr. Sood is his name. And he does little snippets that I have my children watch and I share with everyone I possibly can because I think it's such a powerful message still to this day. He's one of my favorites. So will you send me it was some impactful books? for me too. Yeah, I will. I would love send to me the yeah. links and the books. I'll put them in the description of this podcast. I will. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things he said that day that has stayed with me. Cause what, what is that? Five years ago or something? Yeah. He, um, so that before he gets out of bed every day, he finds gratitude and he says it to himself. Gratitude for his children, gratitude for waking up and being and feeling good or having breakfast with his family, having, you know, his a work to go to that he loves. And it's such a simple way and such a such a beautiful way to start your day. You know, I love that too. And one of the other things he said that has always hit me. Um, and, and stayed with me is that he said, and if you forget your gratitude before your feet hit the floor and you're brushing your teeth and you remember, oh shoot, I forgot to share my gratitude before getting out of the bed. He told us to get back into bed and lay there and center yourself for a moment and find that gratitude and then get up and restart your day with that gratitude in mind. Like he gave permission to um, forget or to have to make a change and then get back in bed to, to start over again. And I've always loved that. It was like, oh yeah, okay. There's always time to start fresh with um, remembering what you're grateful for. The other thing was so empowering that he said, and I'll just share this. He said that as soon as you get home or you enter your space, with your loved ones after being away, light up for them for two minutes, or you'll spend the whole rest of your day making up for that missed connection. And so I've always loved that and it stayed with me as well as just light up for the people that you love. Be 
present in the moment and grateful that you're you just seeing them again make it feel like it's the best friend that you haven't seen in years and light up for them for a moment and then everyone can release and go do what they're doing and and it's it's made a big impact in our life in how i want to choose to show up for the people that i love yeah <laughs> so I he's a good that. one yeah, yeah. a really good one i'm going to dig into him a little bit because i'm going to do the mindfulness yoga which I, I had said to you in the message, I, I wasn't really doing it. I had to make some really big decisions about, you know, not being able to do those things. But it doesn't mean that I don't practice yoga, which is so important to me, and mindfulness, which is so full of gratitude. And uh, being able to try to share that uh, with our fellow caregivers. What, what is the difference? There's a big difference between mindfulness and self-care. Self-care yeah. can get you to mindfulness, but then mindfulness is a whole different uh, subject matter that... Um, includes a lot of gratitude and offering yourself grace. I, I'm huge on offering myself grace lately. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's part of being present is then you have the chance to provide that grace for yourself in the moment instead of holding regret or feeling like you could have done things different um, and trying to go back and change something. If you're present, you can take that moment to take a deep breath and um, recenter yourself before moving forward. So. Gosh, I love that. So Emily comes to us as a caregiver herself to her husband, John, and you've been his caregiver for how long? Um, we've been married 14 years now. Yep. And um, been his official caregiver for the last six, but I mean, caregiver since the start. Um, his journey is a little bit different than others. He was a school teacher first and then joined the army the day after 9-11. So he already had a career and a life before that, um, but was compelled to make a change after that day. Um, so he was part of the invasion and then um, went into counterterrorism and was um, an intelligence guy after that. Um, he went through, as anyone who's in the infantry and going into war, um, he suffered from uh, several different serious shock waves and other things that impacted his health. But as we know at that time, there was no TBI talk. There was no PTSD or anything like that. You just kept moving forward. Um, and so he continued to do that. Uh, he got out of the army after four years and I met him shortly after that. Um, we got married three months later. I just knew he was the one. And I remember I was pregnant with our first child and um, a colonel called and said, your, we need your husband back. And he said he wouldn't come back unless we got permission from you. And here I was, you know, five months pregnant. Uh, it was during the crash of 2007. Um, so the whole world felt like it was uh, economically was changing and shifting. And we packed our little car and a pod and moved to Washington, D.C., where he continued the mission for another eight years, um, which continued to stuff down and compact his war injuries that he had already incurred. Um, he did take another, he did go on another tour in 2012. Um, and that had additional uh, effects on his health and wellness after that. So when he came home from that deployment, um, things were different. And uh, I think just that was hard to, to go back at that point. Um, but we still struggled through what that looked like. I was 
28 or, you know, maybe I was 30 at that time and just, you know, living life. I was an interior designer. I had two little girls at home and I was not thinking about um, how much he was suffering, even though his migraines were continuing to get worse and worse. He was missing lots and lots of work. Um, and so I, I suffered in silence trying to help him the best I could, not understanding the significance of his injuries. So I always like to say, you know, I never went with him to any of his VA appointments, even though he was always going. I mean, this is way back in DC. I didn't know he needed an advocate. But what I realize now is that they were just checking off boxes. How do you feel today? Fine. How are things at home? Fine. And as long as they could check off the box that he was fine without any other communication with anyone who could confirm whether that was fine or not, um, he was allowed to continue to go on. And so it got pretty bad before it started to get better. And that's really when I stepped in and, and realized that I was a caregiver and that it, it was part of my job to help him navigate the, the process and the system. And that was the most empowering thing that could have happened to me because before I felt very um, helpless, hopeless, and just wasn't sure what, what to do or who I was or how to help him. Um, but once I had that caregiver role in my head that I knew that that's what I was, then I was able to have, wear more than one hat, just mm -hmm. like you do as a mom. And as someone who's, you know, working and then a wife and that kind of thing, I had an extra hat now. And we all knew when I put that hat on that I was the caregiver and that that, that mattered mm -hmm. um, and that it, it that held validity in our family as far as um, caring for him and keeping an eye out for his best interests. So it was really empowering, actually, um, even though it was a daunting, um, you know, long term journey. Well, the, you know, you don't always know, you know, what that journey is going to look like either. And that's sometimes you sometimes that's when you sometimes have to uh, be in the moment because to look yeah. so far down the line is can be overwhelming. Yeah. So to think, you know, what does, you know, 50 years old look like? What does 10 years from now, 20 years from now? And I can still remember standing in my kitchen in New York in 1994 he was sick in 1993 and so you know and then we had to we had to come out to see some sunlight there after a while right and say what is yeah. what is going on it's like a hurricane up until then and i yeah. in my kitchen and i was looking out at the peach tree and i thought okay well i'm 34 now what does this look like when i'm 60. mike and here i am now 60. <laughs> i think that seems like yesterday right yeah it's, it's, um, and people do ask, how do you do it? And how did you do it? And we have so much more on our plate now than we had then, although it's hard to believe it seemed like so much then. I think, well, I think there's a few reasons why there's a different, there's a difference between being a civilian caregiver and a veteran caregiver, just because the VA is a huge bureaucracy. So yeah. when you're, when you're saying to me that you became his caregiver to, because because you needed to get into the VA with him to his VA appointments. Yeah. That's such a huge undertaking because you have to make yourself heard. And I had a lot of practice in that way in the civilian world. So I wasn't, um, I wasn't encumbered by those problems. I just went in knowing you'll have to listen to me. 
I'm not taking no for an answer. You have to listen to me, even if I cry. And I have cried in VA appointments when I haven't been heard, and I know that I need to for Tom. Yeah. So it's an an awesome responsibility to be that kind of caregiver. But then, so what did you do from there? So now you you decided to become a fellow for what reason? Elizabeth? So I actually, I, I, um, so because he didn't have an alive day, a day that there was an injury that occurred. He was flown to Germany. You know, we know the stories of mm-hmm. the alive days and, and then the struggles that go on for so many of our brothers and sisters after that, that navigate that whole side of Walter Reed and all of that. And that was, that's not our story. Um, it was one day, it was his breaking point and his whole body kind of started to shut down. And I, I like to share that because it was a really terrifying time for both of us. And neither one of us kind of knew where to go to navigate that. Um, but we went into our Kaiser to private healthcare. And that was where the initiation was started with the real like mental health side of things. And they validated the severity of his injuries right away, as opposed to having to prove things through the VA all the time. Mm-hmm. So Kaiser is the one that actually helped us navigate getting in, um, getting more help from the VA than he had already been receiving for his migraines all the years before. Um, and so from that point, we had to decide what our life was going to look like. Um, and I met with the caregiver coordinator for the VA the first time. And I said, I'm ready to help. I want to help be part of the solution here. Like, how do we get involved? How do I get involved? She said, well, actually the deadline is passed, but there's uh, still an opening for the Hawaii um, fellow for Elizabeth Dole Foundation. I think I'd like to connect you with them. And so it was a whirlwind of like three months between um, his more significant diagnoses and then me being in DC. So I was kind of flung into it. And, um, and so that's where it started. That's where I met Nikki and several of the other caregivers, Jennifer, um, that first year. And I was surrounded by other people who were like us. And that was really the first time that I understood that there were caregivers out there and that I could connect and we could be a community, Um, although it's not always a welcoming and kind one. Um, And so that became my mission to find ways that I could connect with caregivers in an authentic way and let them know that we, we are in this together and that it's not a competition or that we need as much love and as much, um, grace and kindness for each other as possible. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of launched me into all of the next, next things. And that is um, the, the peace that came from my husband going outside and gardening. And um, there, he was on all kinds of medications and all different things that were making it really hard for him to maneuver around and to get up and want to be outside. But once he was there, he was Um, tending to trees and our daughters were getting involved as well and so I realized what uh, impactful experience being outside and gardening was for our family and so that became the the mental health connection that we had with each other as a family and I figured if this works for us I can't imagine that it wouldn't work for other families as well who might also not know what next steps to do. Um, I also believe in just being outside in the fresh air and the sunlight and breaking into that soil and all of the healing 
um, elements that come from that. And so that was kind of our basis to get started. Um, it was a, a little bit of a long road though. We tried to do it all ourselves. We got at least 43 acres of land and we're ready to hold this space for veterans and their families to come in and sublet, you know, two to five acres that then they could grow their food and we could build this community around that kind of support. And what I realized or what we realized in that first year and a half was that um, it's hard. It's hard to get out that door. It's hard to commit to tending to land that you don't own or that isn't in your backyard. And there was a lot of anxieties about even getting, driving down the driveway to get to our location. Um, so we had to tweak our, our program and our plan a little bit to provide education and experiences that then could be taken home and, and used at home instead of have, holding space for everyone to come to our place. So in other words, um, you, you provide the education and support for veterans um, who desire to have their hands on the land to maybe be self-sustaining with their food, just grow their own food, or maybe grow flowers if that's what really they want to do, right? Right. That's fantastic. And so how did you get from Washington, D.C. to Hawaii? He came home one day and said, I need to get out of here right now. I think we need to go somewhere with fresh, clean air because I can't breathe. And my head hurt all the time. And I, I, I saw the severity and the sincerity in his eyes. And we put our house on the market like three days later. And bought a house sight unseen here in Hawaii, which I would not recommend just anyone to do. Um, but for us, it worked out just exactly how it should have and exactly what we needed. We needed to like a fresh start with fresh air and fresh family time. So I didn't know anybody in Hawaii. No, no, we left everything behind and we sold everything, like sold everything and um, started fresh. The joke was that he would rebuild us furniture out of driftwood when we got here, <laughs> which, you know, sometimes we still build furniture and stuff, you know, uh, together and uh, we, enjoy that now and it's the simplicity of uh, a life without all of the extra hoopla that's actually given us a lot of peace as well mm -hmm. the co you know covid and not being able to go out to dinner all the time or these things that's they don't feel like such a, a huge stressor for us because that's kind of the life that we already live we like to eat healthy food we like to cook at home we like to spend time with our girls and our animals and you know so that that piece uh came a lot with disconnecting from some of the hoopla that we thought we had to have before or we did have so like a simple life you know but but a full and simple life like it's just to say simple life i think has this connotation of you know you're not really busy enough but yeah <laughs> my days go cracking around here and yeah and really, I always say, like, on my worst day here, if you could call it a worst day, I pack out, pack up lunch and we go sit in the car in this COVID life. We go sit in the car and we look at the ocean. Like, 
it's just yeah. really, it's just really is so peaceful. Yeah. And it's so really what we wanted, you know, we we're able to, um, what's most important to us is to be partners, not, he always, when people always ask him, you know, well, how is Mary a caregiver to you? And people, he'll always say to them, we're, we're partners first, we're spouses first, and then we're the caregiver because we yeah. make a very concerted effort. Sometimes it's, sometimes you can lose it. And then sometimes I ask permission, like he does forget to put his mask on and I've asked permission, can I just put that on for you instead of treating him like a child? And yeah. I think we can, when we have brain injuries, we can forget that they're not our children, they're grownups, you know? Yeah. Um, so I agree about, you know, the COVID life hasn't, hasn't really terribly affected us, you know? I mean, other than not being able to see our grandchildren, like my little heart is just breaking because I haven't seen yeah. kids in a while, you know? But there's yeah. time and whatnot, but I, I agree. It was good. I'm so, I didn't know that about your story at all. Yeah. Well, you guys just went up and, and, and I, you know, I think, I think you really hit the nail on the head with being partners first too. Like there is a respect and a love that we have for each other. We don't use nasty words or negative and it can be, you know, it can feel hard, but you can retrain yourself to not do those things. And so we, we both have that level of love and respect for each other that comes first. And then everything else happens kind of around that, those principles. And um, we don't steer clear of that, whether it's just my girlfriends and I talking or he's, you know, talk that there isn't that. And I think that's a respect and a bond that we have that then makes us so much stronger as a couple to navigate whatever comes next because we know we have that baseline of, um, and also for me too, the sense of security and love that comes from that respect as opposed to maybe negative things coming out. Mm -hmm. So challenging, to, but. Yeah, well, it is challenging. I think, you know, um, it's, you know, we, we've been married 40 years this year and it seems fast, 40 years. It seems crazy that it's 40 years. And, you know, very similar to you guys, although we didn't, we didn't get married in three months, but he would have, if we could have, if I would have <laughs> agreed, he would have, he proposed in 30 days from the moment we met. And I, I just didn't have the fortitude to tell my family. So it took a year before we actually got married, but we could have easily been married in those 30 days and nothing would have changed at all in our relationship. It would be as robust as it is. It would be it's delightful being with them. It's a challenge being with them. I do a lot of case management for them these days. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that, you know, go on behind the scenes, as you all know. Um, but it's a commitment to being partners, you know, partners yeah. in crime, partners in love. <laughs> yeah. Partners in care. You know, he's a, he's a, a really good care recipient. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like John is too. I mean, you have a shared project like you do. Yeah. Um, that helps a lot too. So tell me when you, um, when you first became a fellow and talked a little earlier about advocacy and I, you know, I hope that all caregivers who listen to this are not thinking, Oh, it's another military veteran caregiver story. Cause, because we, it's not really, it's just a word that you throw in there. It's really an extra layer of things that we have to do for, for them to be veterans as caregivers, whether with a, whether it's because of the, 
a veteran or not, we usually have to advocate in some way. So what was your experience as a fellow in advocacy? So, you know, the Elizabeth Dole Foundation was really great at helping us connect with each one of our uh, constituent uh, representatives at each at both at the state and the federal level and so I had the pleasure of meeting with Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard at the time who is a veteran herself um, she is a colonel in the army currently the army reserves and she sat with me for about 20 minutes just the two of us and listened to my story and you know a couple tears came down and it related to what she knows and the families that her friends and families that are suffering as well. And um, so we had a nice connection that happened right away. And then about four months later, I got a message saying, Hey, I have an opening um, for the Hawaii Island liaison position. Would you represent me as my um, liaison on Island? Um, which, and she said, I understand that you have your caregiver role so you can do it from home. You can bring John with you if you'd like to, to any outreach or operate, you know, things that I need you to go and do. It's a part-time position. Would you consider it? I think that you would be um, a great advocate also for all of the veterans that are on island and helping to connect and share this part of the story. So I spent the next two and a half years working for her, which helped me understand the local, state, and federal levels of where people can make a difference, where our congressional members can make a difference, where our state and our local representatives can make a difference, and how important it is to be able to speak with them. I also learned that as important as it is to get in front of that, uh, that rep, it's actually more important to get in front of their um, liaison, like myself, because I, I, we were the ones actually doing all of the heavy lifting in the work. So if you go to, to advocate for your care or your loved one, don't ever feel discouraged if you meet with their chief of staff or with their veteran liaison or with someone like that, because they're the ones that actually get the gears going to make positive change. And they'll loop their, their rep, rep into that mix and let them know what's going on. They have to report every day on, on who they met with and all of that. But what I learned was how important it was to, to make those connections, let them know about your stories, because every time I share again, I hear, wow, I had no idea that this, you know, that the, these are the struggles that are happening for our veterans. I had no idea that we needed to be aware of caregivers and how we could advocate and support them in, in this mission as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that we always just assume that people should know that we're hurting or struggling or suffering, but we don't always connect those dots so that they know how to make any changes for us. So I have become um, an advocate and I believe in advocacy because I believe it's important to share all the different ways that the stories are so that they can help make active change, which they can. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was a great learning experience for me also in how to communicate what information needed to be communicated and how to most effectively do that. Um, and that's something I've been able to help friends that um, aren't in the military community as well. Mm -hmm. That yeah, are that's, yeah, that's such health. a great, a great um, point. You know, you don't have to be in the military just to be making those connections when you need something done. We've been in the ALS community for a few years now. There's been a 
a bill circulating to shorten the social security disability time from five years to immediate because it's an immediate ALS yeah. is, you're immediately approved if you have ALS now with a veteran um, not it's not as huge because they're compensated fairly quickly with the VA but if that's your only source of income you're waiting for your social security disability and we know that it's a terminal disease there's you you're not getting out of this disease period so to shorten that time is really important. And this little group that I'm, I mentioned earlier called IMALS, we've taken that on in the little veteran group as a subcommittee to, uh, to talk about with legislative aides. We've had, we meet yeah. on Mondays, and I wanna say we've already met with four legislative aides. So we bring up our VA issues and then we tag on the Social Security Disability Act because it's really important to be, if you can be an advocate, we just encourage you to be one. It's not not everybody can be one, and it's and it's okay. Don't feel bad if you're not, if you can't be an advocate. Be right. you know grateful that others are willing to. You know, right. And I think advocacy happens at so many levels. I we were on a call the other day with the caregiver coordinator, our ninety day checkup, which just feels like another probe down unnecessariness, but um, the, it was a new nurse who had had no experience didn't look at our records or anything like that and basically wanted us to just regurgitate our whole life again you know for a 90 90 day checkup and my husband brought up the uh, migraine there's a migrainefoundation.org um, and that was really empowering for him my husband to see the severity of different kinds of migraines, the ups and downs of a migraine, how many days they take, the different stages. So it helped him connect with even his own injuries and, and what he's suffering from. And then he was able to share that with the caregiver coordinator who said, wow, thank you so much. I had no idea that that's what migraines were like. I had no idea. I'm going to look into that more. So even the people that are supposed to be there to care and support the exact issues and the exact things that we're dealing with on a daily basis, they really have no idea. And we can either be frustrated about that and be mad at him for not knowing, or we can try to do our part to educate and hope that they make those connections and we'll go back and review those resources so that they can understand better and maybe take that next call and be a little more understanding and mm -hmm. a little um, less off-putting. Yeah. Also, I wrote that down because my son is is um, we won't go into all his history, but he is he does have he does have a TBI of probably a mild TBI, but we're not exactly sure right now. But he does have migraines, so I wrote migraine.org down, and I'm going to pass that on to him. He's working on. Yeah, we'd be happy to talk with him more about the the migraines itself because we've learned a lot and understand so much more now about the the phases of them, and okay. you know. I'll walk into a room now and say to him, oh, you got a migraine? And he's like, what? No, I don't, you know, I'm fine. And then the next day it's full blown. And he's like, darn it, always know. And it's because we've, we have now, and had enough time, but we've educated ourselves on the phases so that doesn't always just feel like he's being grouchy or that it's something that I'm doing personally that then is making him feel that way towards me or whatever, the shortness or okay. tired. Yeah, I'll make that connection because he's, oh God, keep my fingers crossed. He's going to med board out and 
he'll be able to get on his way from all of the things that he's going through. So, yeah, um, and I hope he will come and stay with us at the ranch. Well, I haven't told him that yet, but I will only because then you will have Lily in your presence and your girls will never let Lily go. Aww. <laughs> he's just a little, what does he call her? Like a little cupcake, you know, <laughs> she really is. He gave her cupcakes for her birthday. It was just him and her. He pretty much takes care of her right now. Wow. Send me a video and she's eating the first time she's eating icing and, and she's two for her second birthday. And she goes, Hmm. Mm, mm. <laughs> like she's 20 years old. She's so funny, Lily. So a little doll. Oh God. She's, she's just got the sweetest personality. She's probably his saving grace right now is that little girl. So, but I, but I will, I will share with him. I told him we were podcasting today. So I want to circle back to the farm. Um, I want to say that I love you miniature donkeys. Like there's no <laughs> tomorrow. And that's probably what spurred me on to contact you. I was sitting at the table when my daughter was here and I was like, Oh my God, wait, I have to show you. Emily just posted these pictures of her miniature donkeys and they're so cute, you know? So, um, yeah. I should see if you want to, um, podcast. So, um, so your farm is the name of your farm is. Paola Farms is our nonprofit organization, and that um, provides, we connect with education opportunities and um, health and wellness to ensure the success of veterans who are interested in also becoming farmers. Um, we're in a very rural place on the, you know, on a rock in the Pacific Ocean. Um, so sustainability and homesteading and self-resilience is something that kind of that there are a lot of people drawn to here. So it made, made sense, but there weren't really, there wasn't a program that was designed for veterans specifically. And I was actually contacted by Go Farm Hawaii, which is out of UH Manoa on Oahu. And they had a couple veterans going through their program that were struggling. And so it, this was about three years ago. And so we formed an alliance to help support those veterans going through the program so that they could be successful and have uh, sustainable outcomes long-term. Now, some of them have turned into commercial production farmers. Others are just growing peppers or bananas in their backyard. Mm -hmm. um, and, and with enough abundance, not only to feed their families, but also share it with their neighbors. So there's a real sense of pride in that and of being able to share that with people that you care about um, and grow something that then is nourishing for others. And so that was one of the, the big um, points for us is that some will turn into a commercial and others will just be growing things and either way is good and great for us. So um, we ended up after the struggles of trying to do all the education, all the land management and all of that ourselves, we let go of that first 43 acres that we leased um, and had to reevaluate how we wanted to provide the program and share the knowledge in a way that worked for us too. Um, because you can't keep holding space for things and then uh, allowing yourself to be gone in the process. Mm -hmm. um, so we structured ourselves so that we stay in our lane with the health and wellness stuff. We provide yoga and breathing and sound bowl healing and licensed therapist and tutoring opportunities. And then we hired Go Farm Hawaii to actually be the one to provide the agriculture training. 
And this combo has turned out to be a really strong and supportive part of why our program is, is able to be successful. So um, finding partners in your community that can be a strong support, understand what you're after, and then show up to do the work with you, I think is number one in why we're able to be successful today and why we had to just, we had to shift. We didn't break. We just bent, moved over and we, you know, we decided what mattered to us first and then how we could provide in a way that felt good to us. So that's, that was the end of how, the beginning of, of starting Malulani Ranch. So we moved from a beautiful 43 acres of lush agriculture land up to another area close by, but on a different mountain, mountain which is Mauna Loa, and it's real rocky there. And mm -hmm. so all of a sudden we have 17 acres of no soil, pretty rocky, acres and acres of forest conservation land. Um, and what turned out is that it's great for animals. And so we were able to build a stables and have an area, a paddock, fence paddock area for our animals. And now we're able to both have the animal experience and the agriculture experience, which happens at a different job site. So we actually have even a better setup than we had before, but we had to let go of the original idea of how we thought it had to be in order for all of this to come. Um, and so that's been the blessing. And honestly, those donkeys are, are for me and my healing and my um, experience and the girls. And now we're able to share that with our community. We're starting to do learning pods where small groups of kids that learn together can come up and be outside and experience the animals together. And not only do we have miniature donkeys, Gidget and Dixie, who are very sweet, um, but we also have two fainting goats, Lupe and Lunesta, hmm. and six, six ducks and about 12 chickens. And, you know, it's just this funny little barnyard. It makes me wake up wanting to go see them every day. And, um, be with them and brush them and pet them and love them. And they give the love back just the same. Um, you know, donkeys get a bad rap being stubborn, but really I like to say they're just a good judge of character. Um, and so we, we uh, spend a lot of time working with them so that they can help others connect with themselves and realize that their energy and how they are, what they are putting off into the world is also received and that animals and people will adjust accordingly. And so if you can take the time to observe that and understand that, then you can also take the time to slow yourself down and decide what kind of energy you want to put out there for those you love and for those who you're just meeting. And that's so, so important, especially when we, this month, um, we talk about suicide awareness and how important our mental health is. And sometimes, for our mental health is finding finding things that are bigger than ourselves that we love to be part of can be so therapeutic for us. And that yeah. really is how your your efforts speak to me, that for our veterans who are struggling, um, that it, it gives them more. It gives them not just something for themselves, something bigger than, than themselves, but you also provide the guidance and that's beautiful because they could come up with this idea, but maybe they can't execute it and you're there to help them to the best of your ability for yeah. them to be able to execute it. And that's beautiful. What, how can um, 
people who are listening who are interested in your program, how can they get in touch with you or find out more about it? They can go to our website, hoolafarms.org and learn more about our veteran programs. We also provide caregiver outreach events and um, cakey events, can do cakey, which are children events, um, empowering the children as well, getting them together, letting them know that they're not alone and that, um, and yeah, so we, we combine all three and it's the family together that we believe is really how you can be successful long-term. Um, the other organization that I would say has been just outstanding and I'm so grateful for is the Farmer Veteran Coalition. And they're a group of veteran farmers who got together and have really strengthened some of the services and the uh, grants and funding provided to help you get started. So I would say that they have been an excellent source for us and um, a believer in us from the beginning, which I'm so grateful for. So I would say go check them out as well. But you can reach out to me anytime. I love, I love to, to share the story and also to help find ways to make it work for you at home. Okay, great. And you'll, um, you'll send me those links, right? Yes. So I will share them in our show notes. Um, there are live links in the show notes so that people can find them. Um, they can certainly ask questions. If they have questions of you, they can you'll give me um, the contact through you or they can contact us through this caregiver life at gmail.com or we also have a Facebook page, this caregiver life. Um, um, we also have other social media that Jennifer always does a really great job talking about. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm not as good at talking about it as she is. We have an Instagram page at this caregiver life and we have a Twitter feed. Um, but let's just leave it at that because I don't even know what it is. I think it's caregiver life. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really use the social media like Jen does. She's so good at it. But I will say this. If you have questions, this caregiverlife at gmail.com, I will answer your email. <laughs> and so, and I will share in the show notes Emily's contact information um, and a little, some little blurbs about the things that we talked about. And if people want to come on our podcast and share your story like Emily did, you're welcome to stories help other people. They help ourselves to share our stories and they help other people maybe to feel less pain or discomfort in their own life. So come share your story with us. That's right. It feels good to be able to connect in authentic ways with people who um, hold the safe space for you to do so. And you definitely are one of those people, Mary. So, so grateful to have you in my life. So grateful to be able to send little messages over the years and to connect in that way. And so that's the really important thing about connecting with other caregivers, no matter if they're military or otherwise, is it's, it's the little, it's the little tiny text messages or the little smiley face on a crappy day that mm -hmm. makes you know you're not alone. And uh, I'll also just say open invite for anyone who wants to come and visit our ranch here in Hawaii. Anytime we would love to, um, share our experiences with you here too in person okay once covid's over right yes that's right post covid but okay that's well right. thank you so much for being our guest and um maybe you'll come on again we'll share more about your animals there because we love the story of the animals i love that yes maybe we can do a live uh, barnyard podcast sometime i can get them to talk for you <laughs> we could we could do a live on facebook or something that would be fun yeah, yeah. all right very good well till the next time